Hi, this is Luke. And this is Albert. Today is Monday the 16th of November. And welcome to the Telescope Investing Podcast. Albert, there was amazing news last week where Pfizer and BioNTech revealed that their COVID vaccine is proving to be 90% effective. Yes, that was a huge story last Monday that really affected the stock markets. So we thought we'd use today's episode to discuss the mega trend of biomedicine as a whole. And we're going to deep dive into two specific companies in this space to see if they're good investments. But before we get there, let's talk a bit about the vaccine news that came out last week. So as we said, Pfizer and BioNTech last Monday announced their vaccine candidate and they're claiming 90% effectiveness in phase three trials. But what does it mean to be 90% effective, Luke? So they enrolled 44,000 volunteers in their trial. And of those 44,000, about 50% received the vaccine and 50% received the placebo. Now, this is probably a double-blinded trial. Neither the physicians nor the volunteers knew which they'd had. And in the trial population, 94 people contracted COVID. So the company were able to assess the effectiveness based on the number of those 94 that were in the vaccinated population compared to the non-vaccinated population. And from what I understand, 90% is really high. I believe the FDA were willing to approve a vaccine that was only 50% effective. Yeah, this is a really positive result. Amusingly, a few days after this announcement, Russia announced that their vaccine is 92% effective, so they beat us. But I think it's fair to say that this is an amazing achievement by the team at Pfizer and BioNTech. Vaccines usually take about two to five years to develop. And they say they didn't use any government funds to develop the vaccine. But I guess they did benefit from all of the expedited processes and the reduction in bureaucracy and just the ability to move things along really quickly. It's going to take a long time to scale up and roll out the vaccine across the whole of the world, but we're definitely starting to turn the corner. Well, the stock market definitely thinks so. From the stock market movements last week, they seem to think that the pandemic is over. But I think it's useful to note that it's going to be a while before mass vaccination occurs worldwide. The stock market's like a little puppy jumping at every ball, like wildly optimistic, leaping around and jumping from place to place. I guess on announcement of the news, stocks that were previously damaged by coronavirus in the travel industry, for example, were suddenly pumped. But reality's got to set in and people are realising that actually this is going to take a long time to roll out and to be effective. Just to put some numbers behind that, Pfizer themselves have said that they will only be able to produce 1.3 to 1.4 billion doses by the end of 2021. And each person requires two doses for the full treatment. So it's only about 650 to 660 million people. And because the companies are based in the US and Germany, it is likely that most of the vaccines will be headed to the US and Europe initially. And I believe the US government have placed an initial order of 100 million doses for the price tag of almost 2 billion US dollars. Well, look, this is great news, however it gets cut. 650 million vaccinations is still enough to look after all of our emergency first responders and doctors and nurses and essential workers. So this is really going to help society reopen properly. Absolutely. But I think it's good to temper people's expectations and not say that the lockdowns are over. I think the lockdowns will continue for at least another year. Yeah, it's probably actually dangerous because as we're coming into Thanksgiving and Christmas, Everybody wants to celebrate and maybe the vaccine news now will make people a bit more lax and perhaps less careful in mask wearing and hand washing and the essentials that are still needed just as much over the next six to 12 months. 
And I believe there's a record number of cases this week in the US alone. I am worried as we go into Christmas and what that might mean. I'm having to lecture my parents regularly about following the guidelines. What did you say to them? I had to tell them off for breaking guidelines over the weekend. I won't say specifically what they did for fear of getting them in trouble, but they were naughty parents. Oh dear. Well, you mentioned this earlier, Luke, that when the announcement was made last Monday, certain stocks moved up and certain stocks moved down. I guess you can summarize this by saying that the away from home stocks went up and the stay at home stocks went down. Yeah, give us some examples, Albert. So Carnival, it jumped 39% on the day of the announcement, but by the end of the week, it was only up 16%. And it should be noted that year to date, it is still down about 70%. Yeah, the cruise industry has been hit super hard. You remember all these stories about passengers being trapped on plague ships, not able to dock anywhere. I don't know if you saw Morgan Housel's tweet. I think it was titled, Have We Identified the World's Stupidest People? It was reflecting on a group of passengers who just joined the first post-coronavirus cruise. Is it safe to say that this story does not have a happy ending? It does not for the passengers or for the reporter on board. They're all now quarantined, offshore, unable to dock anywhere, and probably having a miserable time locked down in their luxury cabins. That sounds terrible. Personally, I wouldn't go on a cruise even without coronavirus. <laughs> you're, uh, you're not the target demographic yet. I'll get you on a poker cruise one day, Albert. It's also interesting to see some of the losers when the vaccine was announced. For example, one stock that we discussed recently, Fiverr, that dropped 18% on use of the vaccine. I'm not that concerned about Fiverr. The mega trend of freelancing was here before the coronavirus and will probably still continue after the coronavirus. But I do have my doubts about Zoom video. Would that really have as much usage after the coronavirus? Yeah, I think I would characterize the stay-at-home stocks in two categories. You've got companies like DocuSign. Once a company has adopted the services at DocuSign, they're never going to go back. Having electronic signatures and all the workflow around that and the improved capabilities is such an advantage to the company and to their end customers. It's so much easier for a customer to sign a document on their phone or on a computer rather than printing it, signing it, scanning it, emailing it back. A company is never going to give up their DocuSign capability post-coronavirus. But in the other camp, there probably are companies like Zoom where post-coronavirus People still want to meet face-to-face, -face. and I guess even if Zoom aren't charging on a usage basis, still the take-up of the platform is going to reduce a bit. I agree with you, Luke. Once the benefits of an innovation have been realised, people are unlikely to go back. What the pandemic has done has accelerated many trends in encouraging people to try these new technologies, and once they realise the benefits, they will stick with them. Overall, does this impact the remote working megatrend? Probably not. Coronavirus has still got six months to a year to run and to impact stocks. Stock markets, like that excited puppy, can see the end in sight and they're getting excited about that. But even when COVID's in our rearview mirror, we think companies like Fiverr and DocuSign will continue to benefit from the huge growth that they've enjoyed this year. However, I think we can expect massive volatility as vaccine news rolls out over the next year, which may actually give you opportunities to buy stocks at lower prices. Yeah, that excited puppy is going to be jumping up and nipping at our heels continuously. Let's use it as an opportunity rather than a threat. Actually, concerning the vaccine, there was a bit of controversy. If the announcement had been made a few weeks earlier, it might have changed the results of the US election. Definitely would have played into Donald Trump's narrative around turning the corner on the vaccine. Maybe they didn't want to be the Hillary's emails of 2020. Yes, possibly. Anyway, let's not get too political. Why don't we come back to our main topic and talk about biomedicine generally and why we think that's a megatrend. Well, healthcare and life extension technologies are eternal megatrends. Most people, I think, 
would like to live for as long as possible and as healthily as possible. I love that term, eternal megatrends. You've made that up today. And I think that's really great. I definitely agree. This is a megatrend that's going to last forever. Who doesn't want to add an extra thousand years to their lifespan? Well, actually, I talked with my girlfriend recently. She says she doesn't want to live until like 80 or 90 because she doesn't want to be old. But I say, if you could live healthily until that age, why wouldn't you? If I could still be relatively independent, I would like to live forever. Yeah, or at least have the option of living forever. You and I are old men now. We're already over the hill. But if we could rejuvenate a little bit back to our 30s and maintain that level of health and fitness for a couple of hundred years, hey, I'll take it. Tell you what, if I could just read and play backgammon, I'll be happy. (laughs) That'll work for my bank balance. (laughs) But I also believe that we're at the beginning of a new era for medicine with the recent advances in genetic engineering. Things like gene sequencing and gene editing are a game changer for medicine. Give us a quick history story on sequencing of the human genome, Albert. The first human genome was sequenced as part of the Human Genome Project that was started in 1990 and ended 13 years later in 2003 and cost 150 million US dollars. But the technology has advanced considerably since then. And now it costs around $600 and takes about a day. That's really impressive that we've made these huge leaps forward. Katrina and I got our own genome sequenced with a company called 23andMe a couple of years ago when they launched in the UK. Although that was around the kind of $100, $150 price point, 23andMe and their competitors aren't doing a full sequencing. All they're doing are looking at SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms. It's kind of like a little subset of the genome. So you get some insights, but you haven't really got the full genome map. Another recent advance has been in gene editing. We have been able to edit genes for a while now. The technology has been available for decades, but a recent advance in a technology called CRISPR now allows genetic engineering to be done more reliably, more quickly, and more cheaply. Yeah, CRISPR is super interesting. I know you're going to dive into a couple of companies in the CRISPR area specifically, but this is really about not just understanding the genome, but actually being able to change it. Yes, it's a really amazing technology. Like with quite scary consequences. So I want to talk about a specific company in the CRISPR space, a company called Editas Medicine. But first of all, I want to just quickly describe what CRISPR is. CRISPR is short for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. I know the meanings of each word individually, but as a whole, it's complete nonsense to me. (laughs) The simplest way to view this is that CRISPR is a search and replace tool for DNA, where you can cut out undesirable pieces of DNA and insert desirable pieces of DNA. CRISPR is actually a family of proteins, possibly thousands of proteins, each one with the potential for different treatments. Maybe just to bring this to life a little bit, like some of the things that we could actually do to ourselves or do to plants and animals with CRISPR technology, it's not just about changing the characteristics of your children and having designer babies. The implications of this technology are enormous using CRISPR, you could actually make changes to yourself. You could grow another arm in theory. If we were becoming a spacefaring civilization, you could massively improve your immunity to radiation and be able to survive deep space far more easily. If you could engineer yourself to not rely on oxygen, that would be a huge advantage in space. Like Albert, if your girlfriend could make one change to you using CRISPR, what do you think she'd do? I'll keep this clean and say, she'll probably change the color of my eyes. She's always going on about guys with brilliant colored eyes and she never mentions about mine. 
yeah, having beautiful eyes is a massive benefit right now, particularly in lockdown as we're all wearing masks. Those guys with hot eyes are really winning in the romance stakes. Bastards. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the possibilities for genetic engineering are, are limitless. And that's why this industry is so exciting. And as you said, an eternal mega trend. This is really going to be foundational in medicine in the future. But there are a lot of ethical issues though. Do you really want people to be able to design babies to choose the characteristics for their offspring? It might create a tiered society where the rich people can basically design their children to be more successful. Yeah, it's dangerous. And I think regulation is going to have a very important role to play here as governments try to prevent the increasing divide in society between the haves and the have-nots. There's definitely a need for regulation. Definitely huge ethical questions to answer around CRISPR, but the genie is out of the bottle now and there's no going back. The technology is here to stay and we have to understand how to use it in the right way for the good of all society. Absolutely. And there have been a lot of new companies that have started up recently based on CRISPR technology and working on a number of treatments for different diseases. A lot of them are still private, but there are some public companies that you can invest in. There's one that I will go into more detail later called Editized Medicine, uh, one called CRISPR Therapeutics. They grabbed the best name. Other companies include Intellia Therapeutics, Tangamo Therapeutics, and Beam Therapeutics. One common observation that I've made is that most of these companies are very small in size. Around the $2 billion mark, there's a potential for huge growth should they find workable treatments. The biggest company in that group is actually CRISPR Therapeutics with a market cap of around $7.5 billion. And the reason why that's a bit bigger than all the rest is that they're a bit further ahead in their clinical trials and people expect them to have an approved drug earlier than the rest. Let's deep dive into Editas. I'm interested to hear your research because I've been an Editas shareholder for the last year and a half. Editas was founded in November 2013, soon after the discovery of CRISPR-Cas9. They IPO'd in February of 2016. But looking at the company over the last few days, I see that none of the founders are currently associated with the company, which is a bit of a red flag. Yeah, one of the lenses we use at Telescope Investing is to look for the founders still to be engaged and involved in the company, the original vision driving it to future success. The current CEO is Cynthia Collins, who has been CEO since August of last year. And I've been looking at the inside the ownership of the company and it appears that the CEO only owns 0.1% of the company, which is really low and is another red flag. I guess, but as a new CEO, it's going to take you years and years, maybe decades to build up a substantial stockholding. I guess the red flag is the turnover of the CEO rather than the insider ownership. Fair enough, Luke, but the overall insider ownership is only 3.2%. And looking at the glass door ratings, it's only 27 It has to be said that this was only from 10 reviews and the CEO rating is a massive 0%, but only from three ratings though. That's pretty horrendous results. But as you say, very small numbers. I guess there are a couple of employees that really aren't happy with their company and they're making their voices known. Well, the latest review from a current employee was posted on the 25th of October this year and the headline was stay away. Yeah, ominous indeed. I noticed this is just one review, but in their pros and cons, they said, that the pros was incredible science, great technology, but the cons was a toxic culture where people are constantly being thrown under the bus, which doesn't sound great at all. Yeah, that's not pretty. Again, anecdotal, small number of people, 
How many employees does Editas have? I believe they have around 208 employees now. Yeah, that's interesting. So a small company and they've got about 5% of their employees bad-mouthing them online. It's not great. But let's move on to the drugs in development. I think when you look at a clinical stage biotech, you have to look at what drugs they're developing and how far they are in the approval process and clinical trials. The main drug that they have is one to cure a disease called labor congenital amaurosis, a very rare eye disease. It's a very small market, but an important one. It cures blindness. And you need drug companies that work on these rare diseases. And there has to be a financial incentive for them to do that. And one of the ways is to have expensive drug prices, unfortunately. And one thing that is good for the company, it helps raise their profile, but also it helps society tangibly see the benefits. Yeah, so the treatment, which they have called Edit 101, is currently in phase one clinical trials. They're actually working with a partner on this. They're working with AbV. It's estimated that this drug, if it is approved, will have annual sales of about $1 billion. Okay, that's pretty good for a company that's currently valued at about $2 billion. Even though this is their flagship drug, it's not the only drug they're working on. Another drug they're working on, which they have called Edit 301, you can see the pattern in the naming system, right? Is a potential treatment for sickle cell disease and beta thalassemia. This affects over 100,000 people in the US alone and potentially millions worldwide. Around 300,000 babies are born with this condition globally. Okay, that's a much bigger market and a much bigger opportunity for Editas to help society. But several companies are working on treatment for this condition. And so Editas may not be the only player they are hoping to file an investigational new drug application with the FDA by the end of the year. And what this will do is allow them to start phase one human trials. Do you think that's going to be the growth engine for the stock over the next 12 months then? I think so. If they can get this drug approved for treatment, it's a huge step in making this company profitable. And one more drug that they're working on called Edit 201 is a therapy for natural killer cells to treat solid tumors. Natural killer cells are naturally occurring cells in your body that help you fight cancer cells. And they also have plans to file an investigational new drug application with the FDA for this drug by the end of the year as well. That's cool. So Edit 201 is going to arm the body's natural killers with improved weaponry. Possibly, Luke. I'm not an expert in gene editing or medicine, so I don't know the details, but that could be an apt analogy. So tell us a bit more about the company and the business side of things. But I think they have a lot of optionality to utilize the technology of CRISPR-Cas9 to target other diseases. I think the most likely targets that they will start with are the single gene diseases, such as muscular dystrophy, cystic fibrosis, neurodegenerative diseases like dementia, Parkinson's, and ALS. So you can see that Editas is a small company that doesn't have any earnings to speak of, no sales, but they have some promising drug candidates. And should they get approved, could prove quite impactful on patients with these diseases. Well, shall I give a bit of a dive into another company in this space? Not so much CRISPR, more on the diagnostic side of genetic medicine. Which company is that, Luke? So I'd like to talk a little bit about a company called Gardent Health. Gardent Health are a pioneer in the space of liquid biopsies. A biopsy is basically an investigation that a hospital would undertake, typically if they want to understand if a cell is cancerous. A traditional biopsy, you'd go in with a needle and you'd physically draw a sample and then that sample would go off to a lab and you'd try and understand the characteristics of the condition. If we're talking cancer, which is where Gardent Health are focused, whether that biopsy was cancerous or not, well, Gardent Health do this as a liquid biopsy. They basically just take a blood sample and they're able to do some pretty sophisticated diagnostic tests on the blood sample using machine learning and AI to understand 
if cancer is present. What are the benefits of this type of biopsy from traditional biopsies? Much faster, much less invasive, cheaper, and actually the holy grail is if you could really get the pipeline humming and make this really cheap and efficient, you could make this part of just the standard suite of medical tests that most people get every year. I went in for my annual medical just a few days ago. And as part of that standard set of tests, the health company take a blood sample and they can tell you all sorts of things about cholesterol levels and you know various other biomedical markers. But if they could tell you from that blood sample whether you're in very early stage cancer, that's huge in terms of detection and prevention. Is this technology available or are they still in clinical trials? Yeah, good question. So they've got a range of products. Maybe a little history on the company. They've been a public company just since October 2018. And actually, I jumped in in April 2019, and I doubled down in March 2020. They've got loads of patents on their technology. And when they launched, they had one product live, something called Garden Omni. So they launched that in 2017. But that's really just for research use only. It's helping with genomic profiling to help clinicians develop their own therapies. So just in August this year, they had FDA approval for their product suite called Garden 360. So rather than research, this is actually a real clinical test where they're using blood drawn from patients to do genetic analysis and understand if patients have particular types of cancer. It's currently testing all solid cancers, and it's also a companion diagnostic test for non-small cell lung cancer patients. So this is helping oncologists understand a certain subset of cancers better for their patients using this quicker, easier liquid biopsy test. Luke, I understood almost none of that. Why would I want to invest in this company? Yeah, I think the really exciting stuff is in the future. So they've got something they call their Eclipse program. I mentioned that holy grail earlier. Well, they've got a product called Luna One, which is being targeted at detecting recurrence of cancer. So if you've recovered from cancer and you've had your treatments, it's still important for it to be monitored really for the rest of your life. Well, if you can do that through a simple blood test, that's much lower cost and much easier to administer. And then Garden Health's Lunar 2 program, this is broad scale screening for a wide range of cancers and much improved early detection. If you can detect cancer much sooner, it's much less damaging to treat and survival rates are much, much higher. That sounds like a game changer for cancer treatment. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're still pretty early in this Eclipse trial with their Lunar products. They're only just getting ready to run clinical trials in 2021. But if this is successful, it's really going to be a game changer, as you say. In terms of the stock, do you see much upside for this? I do. They've got a whole bunch of competitors in this space, notably Illumina, another company that I've got in my portfolio. Illumina recently acquired a company called Grail, and Grail do exactly the same thing as Garden. They do liquid biopsies. It was interesting though. Garden Health's stock price actually went up 10% on the day of the acquisition announcement. So I think this is a case of a rising tide lifting all boats a bit like your comments on Editas and CRISPR earlier in the episode. As the market starts to wake up to the potential and the promise of some of these technologies, it's going to help all the players in the market. That's good to hear, Luke. I'm also a shareholder in Illumina. I had no idea that they are competitors to Garden Health. Let's just talk from a business side just quickly. So Garden Health were founded by Helmi El Tuki and Amir Talasaz, and they're both still on the team. 
Helmi is still CEO and Amir is now president and COO. Insiders own nearly 8% of the outstanding shares. The majority are held by the two founders. Although I did note that the CEO has reduced his position by a quarter in the last two months. That doesn't mean he doesn't have any confidence in the company. People have many reasons for, to sell stock, right? They do. And we hear that excuse all the time. But maybe reducing his exposure by a quarter is a little bit lumpy. So possibly something to keep a bit of an eye on. Is he getting divorced? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, you highlighted the pretty poor Glassdoor ratings for Editas. Actually, Garden Health are are much healthier. So they've got a 3.8 out of 5 star rating. So that's okay. It's not great. It's pretty good. And the CEO has a 94% approval rating, which is also pretty good. Definitely a lot better than 0%. Yeah, if you dig into the reviews, employees are really excited about the mission of the company. The negative reviews are generally to say the company's got pretty bad execution track record and know-how. So I guess it's a sign of a still a young company that's finding its feet and finding its way to operate. But I would say the company have really demonstrated their effectiveness in navigating the FDA approval process. So they really seem to sail through with their Garden 360 approvals. And actually recently around coronavirus, they were able to pivot their technology, which showing their optionality, where they launched very quickly a Garden 19 product that was able to be one of the tools in doing a liquid biopsy screen for coronavirus. Well, that's good to hear, Luke. You know, in general, we do prefer companies that are founder-led and also have high insider ownership so that the leadership team have the same incentives as the shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's quickly look at their financial position. So one thing that's really great for me about Garden Health is their really healthy cash and debt position. They've got over a billion dollars in cash on their books and no debt. So that's been really helpful this year as they've had to navigate the corona economy. Their free cash flow is down heavily. It's negative $17 million. It just makes sense, right? As perhaps non-urgent treatments are put on the back burner because of the emergency focus on COVID. So that's meant that many players in the biotech and medtech industry have suffered from reduced usage of their products. But Garden Health having a huge cash pile as they enable them to weather this storm and hopefully they'll come out the other side healthy. So overall, I'm pretty bullish on Garden Health. I'm pretty happy with my current level of exposure to the stock. But I think if you're trying to play the biomedical space, then Garden or Illumina or any of the other companies in the liquid biopsy space are quite an interesting play and definitely worth a look. That's good, Luke. I didn't know much about Garden Health before, but that was a good summary of their business. The key takeaways that I got from our discussion is that investing in biotechs can be a risky business. It's a long way from a scientific principle to a successful treatment. And a lot of drug candidates can just fail in clinical trials, either in phase one or even later. You can't evaluate clinical stage biotechs using the traditional metrics such as PE ratio or even price to sales ratio, as often they don't have any earnings or even sales. You have to evaluate them on the drug candidates and the work they're doing and the potential for the drugs to get approved and generate profits. Yeah, these are really speculative stocks generally. You're having to take a bit of a punt on a company that's got an idea and they're really early in their life cycle, but it's a long way to get from a phase one trial to a mass population rollout and approval as a general therapy. Another way to reduce the risk of investing in clinical stage biotechs is to take a basket approach where you invest a small amount, but in a number of these companies, such that if anyone fails, all your investment is not wasted. 
all it takes is just one company to make it big, to make up for the losses in the other companies. I totally agree. And I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I've been watching this area for a good five or six years. And I've probably got seven or eight investments in medtech and biotech companies at the moment, just waiting for that breakaway winner. Yeah, me too, Luke. I've got about maybe five or six of these biotechs, and I'm looking to add to this if I see any promising companies. We didn't really talk about medtech today. It's a different area in the same field, and I would like to go into that in a future episode. I've definitely got one breakaway winner in my medtech stocks that I'd love to talk about. Do you want to reveal that now or save it for later? Yeah, let's save that for a future episode. But before we do wrap up, I did want to just give a quick plug to my favorite taxi service. Do you know who was in the news last night, Albert? Well, a lot of people were in the news last night, but is it someone in particular that we should know about? It's our favorite CEO and founder, Elon Musk. His SpaceX company have just ferried another four astronauts up to the International Space Station. It's the second successful mission, and it's definitely looking like they're getting one step closer to being the Uber for outer space. That's amazing, Luke. It really does amaze me how you can mention Elon Musk in every episode. <laughs> well, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Telescope Investing podcast, you can find more content at our website, telescopeinvesting.com, where you can leave us a comment or a review. And if this is your first time tuning in, perhaps consider subscribing to the website so you're the first to hear about new articles and episodes as they drop. Thanks, Albert. Thanks, Luke. This podcast is for general information and is not a recommendation to act. Please seek independent investment advice before entering into any financial transaction. Entering into a transaction that involves securities or derivatives puts your capital at risk. Luke and Albert are not regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority or the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, and the companies mentioned in this podcast may be held personally by us. We can't be held responsible or liable for any action taken by a listener. And as ever, past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. Thanks and happy investing.